Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us again for the second part of our conversation with Professor Nancy Piercy. Professor Piercy recently wrote a book called Love Thy Body, and it deals with the Christian worldview of our bodies and the ethics that come out of it. In the book, she discusses a number of key issues that are uh, in discussion in our culture, in our society, as well as in the church, and she shows us how in order to understand those specific ethical uh, debates and conversations, how to approach them from a Christian view, we have to have the larger perspective of what does our faith teach us about matter, about creation, about our bodies, and that from out of that worldview, we can then formulate a Christian view of things like abortion, same-sex attraction, gay marriage, uh, even transgenderism. So we hope that this discussion with her encourages you to maybe pick up the book and read it for yourself. Professor Piercy was so gracious to join us for a lengthy interview, and so we decided to do it in two parts. This is the second part of that interview, of that conversation with her. And so, as I said, if you, if you haven't listened to the first part, we're going to be picking up where we left off in that conversation, and so feel free to listen to that first. Thank you guys for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the re- remainder of our conversation with Professor Nancy Piercy. Well, I think this is, you know, just for Christians, one of the things, one, one of the, I think one of the big applications for us in terms of what you're saying is that I think the average believer largely uh, conceives of ethics as thou shalt not, mm-hmm. meaning I think, the, I think the, the average believer walks around thinking that the attitude of the, of, of the Bible and God towards, you know, matters of ethics and values it's all about denying pleasure. It's all about you know denying things that that um, that we might want, but they're not good for us. And and then that transfers over, of course, with sexual ethics. That you know it's a large it's largely negative ethic. Here's all the things you're not supposed to do. These things are all bad. And then, and then that carries over into our witness, where we largely think that you know uh, the way to to witness to someone who is you know same sex attracted or or whatever is, is just, you talk about, you know, these are all things that are wrong or bad or sinful. Now, they are very well sinful, but the, the, the more important thing is to focus on the fact that the Christian ethic, the biblical worldview, is a positive, body-affirming worldview, and that is what people long for. Because, you know, when I hear the quote that you, you gave from, um, from Camille Paglia, you know, what strikes my mind is, and I, I used to not be a believer, and so I, I, I think this is very true, that that is such a dark world to live in. When you live in a world where, where matter doesn't matter, and where the world is just, it is what it is by pure happenstance or chance, then that is just a very miserable place to be. And that is the place that so many people find themselves in when they're either confused or they're agnostic or they're just outright hostile because, um, you know, they don't they don't understand the physical creation and and themselves and the world and life. And so I think for a Christian, when you speak, you know, as a believer to the fact that God made the world and you speak to these body 
positive issues, these body affirming ethics. God made you for who you are. You know, God made you the way you are. God, you know, I, I just think that's a very powerful message. And it can cut through a lot of the the political uh, you know, rhetoric and the polemics. It cuts through that because everyone, honestly, everyone wants to hear that, right? That God made you the way you are, that he has a purpose, and and people can do with that what they choose to do with it. But I think I can't imagine most people. Well, I guess there are people out there who would who would reject that. But in general, I think it's a very powerful way to speak to the issues that that are in our culture so much front and center. Yeah, and you're right. Stor- stories make a big difference. And in Love Thy Body, I tell lots of personal stories. As long as we're on homosexuality, let me give you one more story there. Um, one of my favorite stories is at the beginning of the chapter on homosexuality. And it's the story of a young man named Sean. And as you know, when he was young, he identified as gay. He was exclusively attracted to other men. Hmm. Um, and today he's married to a woman and has three children. And what's interesting about his story is that he grew up in a gay affirming family and a gay affirming church. And so he was hmm. not driven by negatives. He was not driven by shame or guilt. And you say, well, in that case, you know, why did he change? What, what drove the change? And he says, I stopped defining my identity by my sexual feelings. And I started regarding my physical body as who I was. Mm. And he, he says, I didn't try to change my feelings directly because, you know, that does not usually work. He says, my goal, these are quotes, that my goal was to acknowledge what I already had, a male body, as a good gift from God. And eventually my feelings started to follow suit. So instead of defying nature, to use Camille Paglia's term, instead of defying his body, he accepted his embodied mm-hmm. as fundamentally good, as a good gift from God. And really, that's the question at the core of this debate. Do we live in a cosmos operating by blind material causes so that our bodies have no, no real meaning or purpose? Or do we live in a cosmos designed by a loving creator, which is therefore intrinsically good and which we should therefore embrace? Amen. Yeah. And if, if the world is meaningless, you know, if, if, if all of physical matter is meaningless and has no design imbued by a designer, then deny or defying it is also pretty meaningless. Uh, but but that's because the, the physical world can't teach us anything. And, you know, uh, we believe that, uh, God's creation does reveal him to some degree to us, not in a salvific way, but in a way that we can learn about who God is from creation. And so we can learn about who God is and definitely who we are from uh, our physical bodies. And, um, but yeah, if you don't believe that God is behind all that, then what can you learn from your bodies? Nothing. There's nothing to learn because it's, it's meaningless. Right. And the place where this is really coming out today is the transgender movement because the transgender movement, which is happening, <laughs> taking place even faster, I would say than the, than yeah. the sexual rights movement ever did. Um, it rests on that same logic. It rests on the same devaluing of the body. Transgender activists explicitly say that gender has nothing to do with biological sex. A, there was a wonderful D, uh, BBC documentary 
It said at the heart of the debate is the idea that your mind can be at war with your body. At war with your body. And in that war, of course, it's the mind that wins. So I, um, I like to read what the academics are saying because that tends to filter down eventually. So yeah. I read a book by a Princeton University professor defending in the philosophical defense of transgenderism. And yet, amazingly, she still admitted that transgenderism involves, these are her words, disconnect, disjunction, self-division, self-estrangement. She said the physical body tells us nothing. It has no meaning at all. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So kids down to kindergarten today are being taught that their body is not part of their authentic self. They're being estranged from their own body. And to which we should say as Christians, our answer should be why accept such an extreme devaluation of the body? Even right. people are starting to see this. This is fascinating. Uh, even secular liberal people are saying, starting to say that transgenderism rests on body hatred. I was on a website recently where I, um, I read a, an interview with a 14-year-old girl who had lived as a trans boy for three years from age 11 and then, uh, and then reclaimed her identity as a girl. And she said... The turning point came, came when I realized it's not conversion therapy to learn to love your body. And I, I yeah, this, uh -huh. came, this came out after my book, Love Thy Body, was already published, but it would have been a great quote. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Seriously. That's... And again, this was a secular liberal website. So it's fascinating that even on, on the trans issue, even secular people are beginning to realize that the, 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 the core issue here is uh, body hatred or respecting your body. So this is a wonderful opportunity for Christians to show that a biblical ethic is actually based on loving your body, that it ultimately demonstrates God's love. This is a positive view of who we are as embodied beings. And the, the thing is, sometimes people will say, well, are you overemphasizing the body in your book? And I'll say, no, no, no. It's, people are much more than biological organisms, right? Biology is not the most important dimension of life. But since the body is what is being disparaged in secular thought, yeah. that's what we must defend. We must mm. defend with a biblical ethic of the body as God's handiwork. Well, I, and I think, as Kathleen mentioned, and as, as you bring up in your book, the, uh, the fact that the scary thing is that um, as 21st century folks, we can look back at almost any atrocity that happened in the 20th century and underneath or, or even our own you know, nation's history with slavery. And underneath any of those, regardless of what the ideology or the political situation, what you find is in some form or fashion – a devaluation of, of of the value of the human being as an embodied individual, and 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 what's frightening, as Kathleen said earlier, is is um, where where that you could end up in a place far worse than you ever imagined. Once you kind of to to, to use a, a you know idiom, the, you know once you open up the can of worms, and and you start saying you know the physical world, the human body, 
these things are not vital to who we are, to our identity. Um, even on issues you might say, oh, that's not a big issue. I'm not going to worry about that one. It, it leads, that train of thought leads to to horrific atrocities. And, um, and as you mentioned earlier on, I think what Christians need to know from a perspective of, of church history is that the, you know, the early church was birthed in a very brutal, harsh, awful world and culture. And it was, it was a radical message, not just that in, in, in Christ is their salvation, but in the, you know, in the physical bodily resurrection of God, there is, there is redemption, not just uh, in a hereafter, you know, disembodied existence, but as you already said, in a new heavens and a physical new earth. And those concepts were radical at the time and are still very radical today. You know what's interesting is when I talk to my secular friends, the most uh, persuasive argument is based on environmentalism. And you say, whoa, wait a minute, what's the connection between, say, transgenderism and environmentalism? Well, one thing we've learned from the environmental movement is that to avoid pollution and ecological disasters, we need to respect the structure of nature. When we intervene, you know, it's not that we can't intervene, but when we do, we need to work with the natural order. Uh, if, if we were to use Camille Paglia's words again, we may not do as we see fit when it comes to the interesting. environment. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's a good and point. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It's this very fascinating, yeah. Surprised me that many people have come back to me and said that was the most persuasive thing because when what Christians are saying is that we should respect the structure of our own biological nature. That the right. biological correspondence between male and female is not some evolutionary accident. It's right. part of the original design that God pronounced very good. In fact, our right. sexual nature, is it possesses a language. It is part of the created order that is declaring the glory of God. So uh, let me just throw that out as, a, as an argument you might be able to use with your secular friends. It is surprising to me how often people have said that one makes sense to me because everyone, you know, everyone today is an environmentalist. <laughs> right, they, right. They should be at least. And so, yeah, well, because people see, people do see meaning in the environment, you know, like mm-hmm. even like a, even if they're not believer, even if they don't believe in God, that there's a mystical force or something and, and people really connect strongly with that. And, and people can at least say, you know, we're, I mean, as believers, we believe that we are more than just, um, uh, you know, like the environment, but we're certainly not less than that. Right. And so to be able to, to say that we should respect the order of how nature is, but mm-hmm. not respect the integrity, like the wholeness of our bodies is a, is a really discordant viewpoint. Yeah. And it's, um, let me get into one more story because stories always work so well with people. Um, and these are true stories um, yeah. that, I, that I give in Love Thy Body. Because people need to know more than just what are the arguments against it, uh, like transgenderism. What right. what can we do? And I think f- f- for starters, as I said earlier, you know, we use positive language like honoring your body and respecting your biological identity, living in tune with your body, living in harmony 
with a creator's design. But mm-hmm. we also need we also need some examples. Um, it's fascinating to me that on the transgender issue, well, homosexuality too. Um, studies have found that the strongest correlate of both same-sex attraction and transgenderism, far stronger than any genetic link, by the way, is childhood gender nonconformity. In other words, kids Mm -hmm. behave in ways that are more stereotypical of the other sex. And I give some, you know, in my book, Love They Body, I give some of the academic studies. But I also tell the story of a boy I call Brandon. He suffered gender dysphoria from a very young age. Uh, Before he was even walking, his babysitter said to his mother, he's too good to be a boy, by which she meant he was gentle, quiet, compliant, the things we stereotypically associate with girls. When he was in preschool, invariably he was playing with the little girls and not the little boys. By elementary school, he was coming to his parents in tears because he really didn't fit in anywhere. And here's what he said to his parents. He said, I feel the way girls do. I'm interested in the things girls are. God should have made me a girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can if you can imagine what it yeah. does to a parent's heart when yeah. a child says, you know, God made me a mistake, made a mistake. He put me in the wrong body. By age 14, he was scouring the internet for information on sex reassignment surgery. So the question is, what did his parents do? First of all, they made sure he knew that they loved him just the way he was. They did not try to change him. A friend of mine who was a former former homosexual told me, when I was young, I liked poetry and music, and my father kept trying to toughen me up. Mm. Oh, yeah. Push the sports, you know, and, and, and more traditional male, male activities. So Brandon's parents did not do that. They did not pressure him. But what they did say was, take your identity from your body. You know, you are male. And your body is designed by God, and they are meant to give you a clue to your identity. And it is perfectly acceptable to be gentle, emotional, and a boy. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Absolutely. Maybe that God has equipped you, gifted you for one of the caring professions, like psychologist or counselor or health care worker. And of course, in the same way, it's perfectly acceptable for a woman to not fit the feminine stereotypes, to be more assertive and rational. Yeah. And his parents' favorite line was this. It's not you that's wrong. It's the stereotypes that are wrong. Yeah. Mm. So, and eventually, uh, by the way, Brandon did decide that even surgery would not give him what he wanted. There's a very popular TED talk by a cardiologist named Paula Johnson. And the key line from the TED talk is, every cell has a sex. Every cell has a sex. Obviously, you cannot change every cell in your body. So you cannot change from a boy into a girl. But what we have to realize is that young people today are under intense pressure to question their gender identity. 
And any child who's a little bit gender nonconforming is encouraged to identify as either gay or transgender. I have to tell you, if Brandon had not been in a Christian family, or if he had attended a public school, he would have identified as trans. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about it. But Brandon's parents fought for him and, and the church. We need to fight for our children. We need to help them find their God-given identity. They live in a culture today that tells them all identities are up for grabs. There are no signposts. Even biological sex is now said to be a social construction. Mm. So we, as a church, as Christians, as parents and teachers and pastors, this is what we're up against. Students are now, it's students, I'm thinking about, especially in the public school, they're under tremendous pressure these days. It's the cool kids who come out as gay or trans. And mm. our, our, our healthy kids are, are seen as dull, you know, dull, mm. normal. And so we are the ones who need to be standing alongside them and encouraging them and, and telling them to respect and honor their bodies as God made them. Amen. Yeah. Well, and the reason that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I really, I thought that was a great chapter in the book, talking, of, especially, as you said, talking about the church coming alongside and surrounding these people, not turning people away because, you know, this is too messy or too weird, but loving them through this, as well as, um, yeah, denying not our bodies, but denying the stereotypes, because this movement is really the most gender, gender stereotyping thing I've ever seen, you know, like even including uh, kind of the, the uh, you know, centuries ago, we think that's like the most, you know, horrible gender, gender stereotyping. But no, I, I would say that this is because, you know, the slightest inclination of a boy toward stereotypically girl things, oh, well, he must be a girl. And so instead saying, no, we're going to, we're going to deny that these culturally situated stereotypes, which have changed throughout time a lot, we're going to deny that that is giving you your identity. We're going to say that um, your body, which is which is going to be constant, that's that's where your identity comes from. Oh yeah, I like your word culturally culturally situated. Um, one of the things that Brandon's parents did is they actually took him through my book Love Thy Body. Uh, no, I have an earlier book called Total Truth, and in chapter twelve of Total Truth, I actually go through the history of the concepts of masculinity and femininity. And so Brandon's parents read that chapter with him and they showed him, look, definitions of what it means to be masculine or feminine have changed over time. And therefore, you do not have to feel pressured to accept whatever your cultural your culture currently right. identifies as masculine or feminine. These are arbitrary and culturally contingent. And so as Christians, we do not have to feel obligated to follow whatever our culture defines as masculine and feminine. And you know what Brandon told me? He said, the worst place is the church. He said, the churches have the strongest stereotypes of anywhere. And that was disturbing for me to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it should be the opposite. It should be where people are the most free of cultural stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I do think, and this is something we talked about earlier is that, um, at the end of the day, you know, we as believers need to look to our own house first before we, 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 we feel like, you know, we need to go out into the world uh, because our own house is a mess around the issues of, of how 
how we think about our bodies as believers, how we integrate our faith into our day-to-day life as embodied individuals. That, that cuts across every single mundane aspect of our lives, you know? And um, I think I have yet to find um, much of anything from a Protestant world worldview, pr- from a Protestant perspective, that, that gives us much teaching on on the theology of the body, you know, the way God made the body and how and then fleshing out through through scriptural principles. You have you have isolated topics, so you know, sex and marriage or dealing with hot button issues like same sex attraction, but you don't have an integrated approach to helping the average believer see their body in the way that God sees it. And I think that leads us as 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 believers not only unable to discuss in a meaningful way with non-believing friends and family members and coworkers about, you know, the way that we approach these topics, it, it, it means that when we as believers gather together, there's very little place for us to discuss and, and understand and grow in our own faith in regard to these things. And so, you know, anyone, whether Brandon or anyone dealing with any issue, because it's not just hot, hot button issues. It's, it's married couples who, who, whose sexual intimacy is, is, is atrocious for whatever reason, or it's eating disorders or eating disorders or, or shame issues or pornography. I mean, the, the list is ad infinitum about things that touch on the body and how our faith speaks to that. And so I think, and that's kind of how I ended up coming across your book, because this is a big uh, passion of mine, is I think that we as a church need to be doing a much better job of speaking to the issues that relate to the body, not just in isolated uh, reactionary ways to the culture and with whatever is that our culture is talking about. We we don't need to be the dog that follows the the What's that expression? Um, I don't know. You know, we don't need to be following the culture and saying, okay, well, here's what the culture says we should care about. Now let's go care about it. We need to be be proactively setting forth, okay, what does God teach us from his word about who we are as integrated whole people and then fleshing that out? And so someone like Brandon comes to the church and they hear the message that God made you the way you are. And God said it is very good. And sin has wrecked it, just like it's wrecked everybody else. And everyone has their unique story and their unique sins and their unique temptations. But no one is physically, sexually pure or perfect. All of us are broken. And yet God, you know, in Christ, He restores these things. He redeems us. And we are not left um, without hope or without the tools of the Holy Spirit to seek to grow and heal and become whole individuals in the way that sin has shattered us. And then no matter where we find ourselves in this life, we can look forward to the new heavens and new earth where whatever has been left incomplete at our death will be made whole and complete. And there will be people that will will, will be believers in Christ that will their entire lives battle with same-sex attraction and never feel complete or whole. There'll be people that struggle with gender dysphoria their whole lives and never feel comfortable in their own bodies. And yet they have the hope of the resurrection when all of that will be put together. And I think being able to speak that message clearly and provocatively in the church is sorely needed, not just as a reaction to whatever the culture is saying, but as a, as a proactive you know, testimony to our faith and to what, what our Bible teaches us as who we are and what, and what the world is. I'm glad you mentioned eating disorders because 
that was not on my radar when I was writing this book, since I'm dealing more with moral issues. But yeah. I've had several readers tell me that they are working through this book with their daughters who have de- eating disorders. The first mm-hmm. one to mention it was one of my master's students. She was in my master's degree, you know, master's mm-hmm. level course. And she has a teenage daughter who had actually been hospitalized for eating disorders. Mm. And she said, we are working through this book. We are reading through Love Thy Body Good. together. And she said, I have, I'm realizing I did not have a biblical view mm. of the body. And I had not been helping my daughter respect and, and love her body. Right. And she, it's amazing because I just I did not see that application when I was writing the book. And yet I've heard from several parents now who said they're working through the book with daughters who have eating disorders. What I was kind of surprised when the book first came out by the reviews on Facebook and Amazon, because the typical review went something like this. They said, um, I picked up your book to learn handy answers to current issues. <laughs> what I'm finding is it's transforming me. Mm, right. Yeah. I, I didn't realize I had so much absorbed the sacred secular split. Right. I had a low view of the body. And the most common word was transformative. So mm. this is where it's fascinating to, to me as the author even that the lovely body is proving to be applicable not only to these moral issues, but to a whole host of issues that involve the body. Like you were saying, you know, even even marital sexual relations, as well as things like as well as things like um, eating disorders. It's applicable across the board. Well, I, I think you know, there's 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 a bigger. Uh, view of it, but my own, my own, my own, you know, perspective is that is that we as the evangelical church, we focus so much on on um, the, the you know how we are saved in Christ, uh, but we we don't do as good a job of fleshing out the the cosmic nature of our faith. That it's it starts, of course, with Christ dying for our sins and raising from the dead and eternal life in Him. But of course, as you, as you speak to so clearly in your book, you know, it's a worldview. It's an all-encompassing cosmic, uh, you know, conversion that, that you see things not just in a new way, but the way they really are. And that's going to touch on every aspect of life. And, and uh, uh, Professor Piercy, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I, we, we're going to have to wind it down here for the podcast because um, it, it's running out of time. But do you have any last thoughts or words you'd like to share? Well, I really appreciate what you have been saying through this interview as well. That um, as, as Christians, we've lost the positive message. We tend to communicate Christianity in a negative way. And it's very important, I think, that we learn to use positive language of, mm. you know, that, that the Christian ethic really expresses the love of God and the high view of the body. Um, and t- today, the most cutting edge issues all have to do with the body. You know, ethics actually, you know, is what do you do with people's bodies? Right, and, right, <laughs> yeah. right. As Christians, we haven't been very comfortable talking about that because we have been so focused on the spiritual realm. And again, mm-hmm. it's it's going back, like Francis Schaeffer said, the gospel be- does not start with you're a sinner. It starts with God created the world. You're made in God's image. You have great value and dignity. 
We need to recover that message. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really been a delight um, talking with you. Really enjoyed that. And we'll um, we'll have the information about uh, Professor Piercy's book on our website and and more resources that you can look at there. And, uh, yeah, so uh, Professor Piercy has done a lot of speaking, and, and she has a lot of books available. And a lot of that we will link to it on our website. And um, hopefully, uh, Nancy, we can convince you to come on again sometime to speak to all, all many more issues. And um, I'm so glad you're at HBU uh, right here in our own backyard because I just think what a blessing the students here in Houston has such a fantastic uh, faculty, uh, not just you, but so many others uh, right here in Houston to to learn from and and to study under. So thank you for your time. I'm going to just wish you all of our listeners, uh, 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 I hope you have a good day wherever you are out there. I hope these are good thoughts for you to take home and talk about with your spouse and your children. And um, at the end of the day, that's what we want. And so thank you all for, ta- for listening today. Take care and God bless. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the second part of our conversation with Professor Nancy Piercy. She's written numerous books and has a website of her own, as well as a Facebook page. And so if you'd like to find out more information about her and her writing and her additional books, such as Total Truth, then you can visit our website, www.crosslifetoday.org, where we have links to all of her information, as well as her Facebook page. So please visit our website. And also next week, we're going to be sitting down together, just Kathleen and I, and discussing some of the things that she brings up in her book and that we've talked about in this conversation with her as they specifically relate to marriage and family. So how do you take this information and and pull it through the context of parenting and teaching your children about a Christian view of their bodies and how does it relate to marriage? And so we'll be touching on those things next week, so please come back for that conversation. As always, we are a ministry that is supported by listeners like you, and so please visit our website, which again is www.crosslifetoday.org. And if you feel so led, please uh, sign up to give a monthly gift of any amount to support our ministry. And and one-time gifts are also welcome, but we thank you so much. If you've been blessed by this podcast, then we would encourage you to prayerfully consider giving back a little bit to help us keep doing it. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, take care and God bless.